It's car con carne. Let's eat in the car. It's car con carne. And it is Carcon Carne on a Sunday afternoon. I'm James Van Oslo, and before we begin, it's worth mentioning Carcon Carne, sponsored by C&H Financial Services. As business owners continue to figure out and wind their way in and around the ramifications of the coronavirus, C&H is here to help. They offer a variety of products, ranging from traditional merchant accounts to a zero-cost payment processing solution, which eliminates the expense associated with accepting Visa, MasterCard, Discover, and American Express as a form of customer payment. C&H Financial Services ETAP solutions, easy to set up your business for online ordering and curbside pickup. C&H also offers cost-effective commercial lending programs to help get your business the money it needs to make it through these unprecedented times. To learn more, contact C&H Financial Services at 855-600-2437 or go to chfs.us. I have three people joining me today. Uh, they are the writer, director, and stars of the new movie, The Honeymoon Phase. This The, the timing is unbelievable with the release of this movie given the, the state of the world the honeymoon phase plays uncomfortably close to a year where we've all spent most of our time in the same place with the same people in the honeymoon phase the participants in an experiment uh have to isolate for 30 days and in doing so they help research how to make the honeymoon phase of a relationship last forever philip carroll wrote and directed and edited the movie chloe carroll and jim shubin are the stars of same said film uh nice to meet you all how about that timing for the uh the release of this oh well first off thank you so much for having us on your show today we couldn't be more excited to be here um you know it, it's crazy with the timing you know when we wrote the film in 2017 is when i think we that's when it initially was conceived. Um, it's, it's weird thinking about how time works right now with, with the pandemic. Seriously. Um, but yeah, 2017 is when we wrote the film. So we had no idea that we would be all kind of self-isolating at this time, the way that Tom and Eve are in the film. Um, and, you know, I feel like we're all pros at this point, you know, uh, compared to Tom and Eve, they couldn't even make 30 days. And here we are. I don't know what month it is, but yeah, it's crazy timing. Time does flow completely different these days. Yeah. It's Sunday, as I understand it. <laughs> you know, the way that uh, that Eve's pregnancy works in the film, I feel like that's how my life is right now, where I'm like, it has have nine months passed or is this actually just tomorrow? I don't know where we are in the timeline. <laughs> here's what I love. You're all fantastic. This is an independent film. You're fantastic at promoting it. You're wearing for people who are just listening. You're wearing your honeymoon phase T-shirts and Philip and Chloe are using the Zoom background with the, the poster of the honeymoon face. And depending on how you twist and turn, the poster swallows you up. So it has kind of a horror feel. <laughs> like the, the image kind of steals you steals you off the screen. And Jim's playing uh, this death stare behind us uh, too. So he's, he's with us in every frame. <laughs> perfect. So I guess, yes, it's horror. Maybe it's sci-fi. Yes, it is sci-fi. But I really think of this as a psychological thriller first and foremost. Fair to yeah. say? Yes. Yeah, that was uh, when we conceived the film. Chloe uh, is a big horror fan. I love thrillers, sci-fi, drama. So we thought a psychological thriller would kind of be the perfect marriage of both of our interests for our first feature. Nailed it. And my takeaway is that relationships are scary enough as it is. 
without bringing in a shadowy research organization to monitor your every move. Yes. That, that's just, that's too much. That's the breaking point. <laughs> every relationship's breaking point is, is when you enter a uh, psychological experiment. Going back to the, the notion of isolation and timing, the feeling of confinement and being trapped. I was just saying to a friend the other day, I, I'm getting stir crazy. I, I'm in the same place. I'm in this home office 12 hours a day. The, the feeling of confinement, it's literal, it's metaphorical in this movie. Uh, as Eve continues to question just what in the hell is going on with Tom, there's nowhere for her to go. There's nowhere for her to talk to. There really is that sense of claustrophobia. How, yes. how much of that did you, did you, how, how much did you tr uh, turn the screws to make that come across? Yeah, we, uh, that, that was like the main priority, I guess, in the film was kind of uh, driving that feeling of isolation in the house. Um, you know, once we have that one drone shot zooming in on the house to establish a location, we never go outside the house again. Um, and that was very intentional, you know, uh, one of our producers was like, Phil, just shoot a couple exteriors just so you have them in case you need them in the editing room. And we did just to have them as a backup. Um, but from the, the outset, I knew I never wanted to leave that house. I wanted to stay inside with Tom and Eve. And, you know, that also goes to the metaphor. One of the metaphors of the film is we really wanted it to uh, show, you know, when you're in a relationship, you don't know what's going on in somebody else's relationship. You know, people always try and give advice and stuff based on what they see, but nobody knows what goes on in your own bedroom. And that was something that we wanted to show in the honeymoon phase is, you know, it's just Tom and Eve. We don't see other couples other than one specific incident. Um, and the other couples don't see in on them. Um, so, you know, this is a, a, a experiment showing, you know, one relationship, what happens, you know, uh, over the course of a month. And the, the experiment's set up early. You know, one thing that makes me crazy about big budget superhero movies, they always have to lead with the origin. And the origin sucks out the first hour uh, of the story instead of just going right to it. I, I feel like you set up the uh, the organization early on and just you move forward. I, I like that. I, I like just the, let's just get to it. Yeah, we, we shot um, additional material for the first act. Um, that's on our DVD and on our iTunes extras. Um, if any ever wants to see them as deleted scenes. Um, but when we were editing the film, you know, we, we really felt that the, the fun of the movie was in the house. You know, when you, when you put them in this, you know, boiling pot, you know, and you, and you wait to see, you know, what happens as pressures put on them as a couple. Um, so we wanted to get to that as quickly as possible so that, you know, you could have the fun of the movie. Um, with it being a, an indie film too, we're well aware that when people watch your film on Netflix or Amazon prime, um, they give you like five minutes and then they turn it off and move on to the next one. Everybody's attention spans are really, really short today. Uh, so we, we wanted to get to the good stuff quick too, because of that reason, you know, you don't have a lot of time to win people over today. <laughs> See, I, don't, I don't even know if that's true. At least it's not with me. I spend forever landing on the movie I'm going to watch. I, I do the, the endless scrolling, but once I commit, I'm in. Like once I, I feel like I've gone through this, this decision-making process for so long, I'm, I'm in it for the next two hours, no matter what. You're a much better moviegoer than me and Chloe. Like we. <laughs> You're pretty good. I'm like the worst. Like I will literally put Amazon Prime on the first thumbnail I like. I'd be like, let's give it a go. After 10 minutes, I'm like, not liking this. Let's give it a go. Like, I, I become worse where it's like, we'll say like 15 minutes. And then if we don't like it, we'll move on to the next one. Just because I, life is so, it's so uh, 
you know, precious with time that, you know, if a movie doesn't win us over, we will leave it. You know what I, what I will say, I think has, has given us that, that mentality is the subscriptions because it is so easy to put on a different film. Yeah. The first time I think we've ever walked out of a, a movie in a theater was when we got that AMC, you know, A-list pass because Same. it's like, now I don't feel bad about it. You know, we'll go see a movie, you know, randomly and just try it out. And then if in a half hour, if we don't like it, we'll just leave. So. I'll go watch another one. Like yeah, this. we'll just put the pass on. And, yeah. I did the same thing with my AMC A-list. Fantasy Island, sorry, I gave you a shot. You, you were good for the first 45. Sorry. <laughs> so I think these subscriptions have, have conditioned us to not feel bad about, you know, leaving. <laughs> exactly. So I, I mentioned the, the organization, the shadowy organization, the Millennium Project. Before I talk specifically about Jim and Chloe's roles. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the director, Francois. What a, I mean, what a get. This dude just is a fantastic presence in the movie. Yeah, Francois, um, I came across him like a lot of people on Lost, where I was a huge Lost fan when I was on TV. And, you know, when I was writing the script, I always try to keep faces in mind, you know, when I'm, when I'm writing. And Francois was always the director for me. So when it came time to cast the movie, I reached out on a whim and he said he'd love to read the script and was flattered to hear from me. And, uh, you know, from then on, you know, he was the role of the director. So we were really lucky to have him. And for people that don't know, funny Easter egg, you know, this is how Jim actually, Jim, you tell him, how did you know Francois? Oh, from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yeah. <laughs> Who is he in Ninja Turtles? Oh, he's Shredder. Yeah. So he is he is only Shredder. And Actually, I saw Lost and I saw him as the director and I went, nah, no, nah, that's Shredder. That doesn't make sense. <laughs> Chloe and I went to a uh, five below before the pandemic and uh, we we found this Shredder cheese grater. It was a cheese shredder. That's, that's so that's so mad. Yeah. Yeah. It was GameStop. So we bought this this cheese shredder that was basically Francois's face, and we sent it to him <laughs> after we made the movie. We thought it was so funny. That's, that's fantastic. So, <laughs> <laughs> so both Jim and Chloe have, I, I think, especially meaty roles. I think you you absolutely make this movie. I mean, they, both of your performances are fantastic. What I, what I love rewatching this movie and seeing how. Jim moves Tom forward, like knowing where this movie ends up, just watching how it all plays out. And then toward the end, we really get to see a few dimensions of Jim's character for sure. How fun was this for you, Jim? Uh, this was, um, we actually had an interview recently that uh, Phil and Chloe and I talked about. And I said, uh, this was one of those roles where uh, my agent said, do you want to do this? And I said, I don't care what they pay me. We're going to do this. I want to do this. I have to do this. Uh, this this is something you don't get the opportunity to do that often, and I want to do it. Um, and that's exactly what you're referring to: is the the multifaceted levels of the character um, are not that present that often in yeah. movies. And I wanted to to play with that, and I wanted to play with this team. Uh, Phil as the director and most certainly Chloe as my uh, scene partner. I wanted to explore that and see what could happen with that. And uh, yeah, there was no way I was going to ever turn this down. Um, I pushed and worked so hard to, to be a part of this project. And I'm just so grateful that it happened. Let's talk a little bit about the names. Um, 
the name Eve in the movie doesn't feel like an accident by any stretch of the imagination. Would naming Tom Adam have been a little too much? <laughs> so it, it's funny um, that, uh, talking about time again, how time flies. It's uh, I, I've been trying to remember what the origin of the names are. It's, it's been so long now that that I've forgotten. Um, you know, I, I know that I wanted names that were one syllable, you know, very simple and short. Um, and and that's really that's all I remember, right? I, I, do you remember any discussions no. about the names? It's so it's so sad, you know, because I I do put a lot of thought into what the names are of the characters. I just can't remember what that thought. See, was. I, I thought it was I thought it was just metaphorical for what happens in the movie. Well, with, you know, I, that definitely has something to do with it. Um, but we didn't go the, the the full Monty with it because we didn't name Tom Adams. So. Right. <laughs> We were, we were definitely alluding to that, uh, you know, the creationism in the film uh, without spoiling things. Um, and with Eve being the mother of this unborn child. Um, but Spoiler. yeah, I wish I had a more interesting Spoiler. answer. What was What's that, Spoilers. 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 We're, be, we're being careful. I'm trying to be careful. <laughs> uh, accidental spoilers may spill out, but the real the real spoilers uh, will keep close to the vest on this uh, because really you, you watch this movie from the get go. You're just waiting for that other shoe to drop. And when it does, it's like, holy shit. Okay. <laughs> wow. <laughs> didn't, didn't see that. Okay. Awesome. Uh, let's talk about the evolution of Eve since Philip, you and Eve or Eve, <laughs> Chloe worked together throughout. How much did the character of Eve evolve through the writing process? Since you're both kind of, yeah, there was a, a lot of different versions of the script. Um, the first draft of the script was completely different to the end draft. And it was cool for me because I got to see, you know, each version of Eve in each script. And even though like in the final one, you don't see everything from the first script, there was still some elements that I was like, oh, I'll take that, you know, and add it to the character. So you know, that was just really awesome for me. And normally, like, when you do a film, like, you get cast a few weeks before, then you're like, all right, create this character. But I had so long to create this character and really think about what I wanted. And then, like, you know, I live with the director, so I'm like, what do you... And then we just had so much time to, like, discuss it and um, really talk about it. So it was ideal. I can see why so many actors are married to directors. <laughs> and why like uh what's what's how the trailer you watched last night? Um Mila Oh uh it was a teaser for uh Monster Hunter. Yeah. He always has his wife in his films and then Rob Zombie and uh, have you seen the memes where it's like, oh we would like to direct and he's like I'll direct but my wife has to be <laughs> I want to start seeing I I, I want to start seeing movies directed by women that have the husbands in it. Yeah. I think that'll be that's going to be yes. fun. We need to Me see. Too. <laughs> <laughs> I think that would be great. There, there's some very adult content in here. I, I've got to think there's the fact that you two are a couple made it easier for Chloe to, to do some of this, some of these performances, some of these scenes. There, there's got to be some trust there. You know, I think it, it made it easier and harder. Um, it made it easier with the trust between us. It made it harder because people outside of our relationship definitely had more opinions about it because, you know, they're like, oh, you're a married couple and you guys are, you know, basically having, you know, my wife with another man in a movie and I wrote it and like what's going on with the psychology of that. 
Um, so there was a lot of outside opinion. That yeah, what's what's up with that, Jerry Falwell Jr.? <laughs> you know, it's all story motivated. And I, what I'll say is, you know, when I write, it always comes uh, from a place of, you know, the character and, and what needs to, you know, or what would the character do? And, and with our story being a relationship story, of course, sex is going to be in it. I mean, they're, they're young and in love. If they're not having sex, then I, I, I mean, yes, there, there are people that <laughs> there are couples, of course, that don't have sex, but I, I, the vast majority of young couples, I'm going to place a bet and say that I'm sure some, some love scenes happen in their lives. So uh you know the honeymoon phase of course was going to show that stuff um and it's all story motivated you know there's not one scene with explicit content in my mind um that doesn't drive the story forward um absolutely the the uh consensual sex that that happened there was uh a, a key plot point i thought yes yeah so we were lucky enough to have a a really strong relationship going into this where there was the trust there for that stuff. And, you know, I, I think people outside the entertainment industry may look at things differently, but for us, it's, you know, it's, it's work. It's not, yeah. uh, it's not like somebody's cheating on somebody, you know, they're, they're acting and there is no actual yeah, it's sex. Not, it's, it's, <laughs> it's like stupid on set. It's not like you're actually having sex. You're pretending to have sex and it's ridiculous. You're like, miming basically. Yeah, you're like, like, can you just shake me a bit while I'm on my close up? Like it's, it's, stupid. it's very awkward. It's really yeah. awkward. And can you grab her hair, but can you move your elbow down? You're like, I, I can't get to her hair. And you're like, no, but just do it. It's okay. Just not in the way of the camera. And you're like, uh, okay. Yeah, there's nothing sexy about having a, a camera dude and, and lights everywhere. And no, there's a, there a guy with like a reflector, like say my face is there like this and you just can't see it. But I'm like, you know, pretending to be pleasured while I'm not being pleasured with someone like <laughs> it. I'm like, oh, this is so it just feels so strange and weird. Like <laughs> and it's an indie film. So we're running and gunning and there's like three guys with Sony Cameras, A7S's, like- you know, just grabbing shots, you know, while we have the key shot on the red and. Uh, best direction, making a porno, like, like. Best direction I've ever got from Phil ever is like, okay, and orgasm, go. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right, here we yeah, go. Talk about, talk about that, Jim. How did you figure out how to do the perfect face? I did not. I just made something up, and I hope it worked. <laughs> well said. Well, I l- pretended. <laughs> From a more wholesome perspective, going back to this idea that you're just waiting for the other shoe to drop. When Tom and Eve get to this place, when they begin their isolation, it feels like a Nickelodeon show. They're 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 playful. They're playing around. Look, we can get whatever we want delivered via like a, a bank teller tube. This is amazing. Here's vodka. Here's uh, it does have that kind of almost over the top wholesomeness. Yeah, was that what you were going for, Philip? Yeah, what we what we talked about um, was we wanted it to feel like Disney World, like the yeah. Millennium Project is like Epcot and everything's a little bit larger than life. The music is very, you know, positive and the future will be perfect. Um, and then when they first get to the house, it's also like that. They, they're, you know, being in a relationship, a lot of times when you are behind closed doors, I think that you kind of revert to being a little kid in a way. Um, and at least from people that I've talked to. Um, and we wanted to show that with Tom and Eve where, you know, they are kind of reverting a little bit to being kids. They're having fun. They're exploring. And, uh, we wanted that kind of a little bit over the top vibe with it. Um, so I'm glad that that came across for you. 
going back to the more mature content, there's a scene in there which <laughs> we're going to ping pong back and forth. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm not going to be able to maintain any audience with this. I'm just going to go from wholesome <laughs> to adults. There's a scene we'll just call the curling iron scene. Yes. I love horror films. I love thrillers. I feel like I, I can watch and withstand anything. This particular scene was definitely one of those watch between my fingers kind of moments. Kind of like, oh, is it? Is she? Oh, boy. That that was uh, that was an intense scene. That, that's that's of all the things I take away from this movie. That's one of the ones that stuck with me for ill or well. That's that left a mark. I'm I'm glad that it did. Um, you know, with with the story being so uh, so dark at points. You know, the the curling iron scene was kind of like the climax, I guess, of Eve's transformation and and her. You know, it, it's a dark moment, but it is a moment of heroism for her where this whole time Tom has been trying to control her in every facet. You know, he's he's obsessed with her. He, he wants control of her body, how she dresses uh, when they you know make love. He wants control of everything. And the curling iron represents, you know, her taking back control of her body from him, um, albeit in a very dark manner um, and difficult to watch manner. Uh, but she's like, you know. I mean, maybe you can talk about what she's thinking. When um, when I played the role, I was just more like at, at this point, she's, you know, a little bit mentally unstable because of everything that's happened and she's not really thinking and she just is looking for a way to kind of punish Tom as well um, because he really wants that, you know? So she's like, well, this is the only thing I can take from you. And unfortunately it's by hurting herself. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's not really thinking in that moment. I'm, that's right. how I played it. Um, and she's just like, all right, I'm, you know, I'm just going to do this right now. Like um, just a messed up scene. <laughs> Jim and Chloe, I, I, I've said this before. I, you really do make this movie. What was it like working together? Because I mean, you, you, you seem like such a natural fit on screen. Thank you. I'm, I'm, I'll take this one. Um, so what was really cool is before we um, we shot, we'd worked on uh, a shot together. It was only like a tiny little micro shot. And then um, before we did the actual film, we had a lot of time to rehearse, which was awesome. So we got like used to each other. And we also hung out a lot. So we would like play video games together, like me, Phil, Jim. Each rehearsal Joan. started with an N64 game. Yeah, like just awesome. Just so we were like friends because that just makes everything so much easier. Like if you turn up to set and you're playing a romantic um, partner with someone you've never met. um, Yes. Like you're an actor and you're supposed to be able to just do it, but it just helps to just like know them a little bit, especially if you're taking your clothes off with them. Um, And we just really had that time uh, to play like Mario Kart and Pokemon and all the stuff we, all the weird stuff we do. Yeah. They were like (laughs) team bonding exercises. Yeah. I totally so, get it. Yeah, it's so important for the three of us to be on the same page and to trust each other because of the dark places that we go. And sometimes, you know, you just got to play around a Mario Kart to get there. And <laughs> that's what did it. <laughs> See, I, I was always a Zelda guy. I, I suck at Mario Kart. I used to love the Zelda oh, games. Oh, me too. Chloe kicks my butt routinely. Yeah. <laughs> It was so, helpful for me to win all the time at Mario Kart so that when he wins all the time as the character, uh, <laughs> uh, it balances. Philip, what, what impresses me so much, this is first time directorial project. Uh, the vision of this movie is so, so well articulated from start to finish. What 
went right and what went wrong? Like, what did you learn from this, both positive and negative from this experience? Good question. Um, so what I learned from it, and, and this is like a, a humble learn. Um, I, I just say this for any filmmakers watching that haven't done a first feature yet is the, the thing that I learned from it was that I had what it took to make a feature. Um, because before you do it, there's just so much anxiety about like, oh, am I ready? Um, you know, is this stupid? You know, is anybody going to care? Does the story make sense? You know, yeah, just every worry in the book. Um, so coming out of it, I think that was the biggest thing that I learned um, that I have to remind myself of. You know, every project, you, you kind of forget the things that, that you accomplish. Um, but I learned that I had what it, it took to make a movie. Um, it's not a perfect movie, but I think that there's a, a good story there at its core. And um, I hope that it leaves people, you know, moved at the end. Um, but that was the biggest thing that I learned. Um, biggest mistake. Um, so, something had to go wrong, at least. Oh, for, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think um, it, it's weird because it, it, it's not production related. You know, I, I think that the the thing that I learned is how to properly navigate the film festival circuit. Um, it's it's a lot more political and um, <laughs> I'm trying to like watch myself with how I say this, but like it, it, there's, it, it's a game and you have to learn how to play the game more. Um, you know, there's, there's so many films that are produced each year and they only have so many slots and a few of the slots go to the same circle every year you know it, it's always friends of people that that know people and stuff and it, it, it we have to get better i think at, at playing that game um so that was kind of the biggest thing that i learned the film festival process was very disheartening i think for a long period of time because we finished the film october of 2018 and our premiere was november of 2019 not because we wanted to wait that long but because yeah. we didn't know what we were doing with the film festivals um, so if I were to do this again, I would do a little bit more research into maybe how to play that game better. <laughs> I, I guess this doesn't surprise me. I, I, I interview a lot of musicians and have over the years, and I think there, there's a disconnect between the creative side of your brain and that marketing sales side. And yes, I, I think not that it's impossible, but it's annoying when you're a creative putting stuff out in the universe, having to kind of become that person and, and hustle your stuff. It, it's it feels awkward for a lot of people. And I know exactly what you're talking about with the games and the politics and all that. We see it in every creative industry. So I, I can imagine. Yeah. You, I think uh, before you make a film, you have this expectation that, um, you know, the Oscars and all these competitions and stuff, it's all about, you know, the, the <laughs> not best, the, not the Oscars. No, I mean, I, I, so much of, no, not with our film, but I, I just, <laughs> in general, and people think that it's merit-based and so much of it is based off of who's friends with who and, and, and the relationships that you develop in your chosen industry. Um, and I think that's important for people to realize so that they don't take things to heart necessarily. I mean, it goes that way with the reviews too. Like from people that we talk to that have made their movies, as soon as your movie goes live, the trolls just attack it on IMDb. Yeah. And Yes, some of those reviews are true and, and, and valid, but, you know, people will give zeros to things just because it's funny and they write a snarky little thing. And uh, it goes that way with everything. I mean, with the festivals, if, if the person who is the gatekeeper is watching your movie, but has a different taste than what your movie is, of course, they're not going to pass it up the line. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but I think it would have been helpful to know that going into it so that we could be a little bit more strategic and targeted 
with uh, with the film. I, I actually think that the best advice um, for filmmakers who are watching is like, uh, too, is that it it really is like ninety percent who you know and what circles you get into, and you always say yourself, you're like, I won't be like that. And then like you find yourself, like even when I do my short films, like I use the same gaffer, I use the same sound person, I use the same, and then I'll bring the same actors. And it's because I know they work as a producer. So why would I bring on a different person who I didn't know mm-hmm. if I, because for me, that's like, well, I don't know if you're going to be good or I don't know if you're going to be reliable. And then that kind of just keeps going into the bigger circles. So it's the same for the people making $2,000 shorts as it is for the people making multi-million dollar. They're like, why would I not bring the same team back who I know work and I work well with? And it's the same for film festivals, you know, they're going to bring the filmmakers who promote their festival when they get in, who have the name actors that do well. Like, why would they want a no-name Film. Well, it's a business. Yeah, it's yeah. a business. They're trying to and, sell tickets. Yeah, and it's um, you know why why change what works is what happens, and it's not personal. Do you know? If That's that the key. Sense. Yeah, to realize it not that's personal. not personal. Yeah. For Never. people who are listening, I, I think there's a natural competitiveness in between actors. What we just experienced is Chloe was talking for a while. So what does Jim do on the video? He brings his cat onto the Zoom. Which is, <laughs> commands all the attention suddenly it's all about the cat i'll, I'll get my snake and i'll outdo <laughs> you <laughs> you have a snake i have a five foot ball python right next to me which is asleep right now but if i got her out she would take attention i'll, I'll get my other cat it's okay <laughs> my, tag team my, pet, my pet will eat your pet <laughs> that is so two cats <laughs> that is so goth that is so Awesome. Yeah, that's really gross, Chloe. It's gross. Uh, but you know, it's funny, Philip. You were talking about the the timing of this release isn't what you had expected. You know, 2018, 2019, here we are in fall of 2020. I think taking a glass half full look at things, we're in a period where so many of us are at home, obviously. I, I think it actually works in your favor. I, I think you have more people's attention. Yeah, I think we were we were really fortunate with all that, and um, you know, with the timing of the film, uh, we wouldn't have that that additional meaning that's now applied onto the film wouldn't be there if it did yeah. release a year prior. Um, so it did all work out in the end. I think that uh, it just it would have been with with the hindsight that I have now, I think there just would have been a lot less personal depression about not getting into festivals yeah. if I had known what goes into the selection process uh going into all of this um a lot of festivals don't give out uh judges feedback and i I understand why because they don't want to get anybody in trouble um but south by southwest did which was really helpful and um all their judges loved the film and they gave us all these the 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 notes and then one judge you know was like oh it's a bad soft core porn movie so our film also had that going against it where if if you have uh, an objection to the sexual content in the movie, you're not going to put it in your festival. So there, there were some roadblocks too with our movies content, but what a horribly reductive way to describe your movie. Oh. <laughs> my, my God. All right. Well, let's, let, let's look forward here. Uh, we're, we're in this weird pandemic time, but you are three creatives uh, on this call. Uh, starting with Jim, what's next for you? Uh, the acting business isn't doing great right now. 
Uh, I've had a couple auditions, but at the moment I'm uh, narrating a couple audiobooks. Cool. Uh, I just did a, a song uh, for the Kurt Vaugh Foundation, www.kwf.org. Uh, it'll be released on October 14th of all their new songs that they're doing. And I'll be one of the featured artists. Um, but yeah, it's, it's at the moment it's voiceover and trying to kind of figure out where the business is going. Cause the business is drastically different than it sure. used to be. And we're, we're waiting to see what happens, but um, we're okay. And for now, I mean, your performance is fantastic. And I, I highly recommend this movie, the honeymoon phase. Uh, Chloe, how about you? Are, do you have anything in the works? So I um, wrote my first feature with my writing partner and I am hoping that I can make that as soon as COVID's done. I just have to, you know, package it together and try and get the funding. But um, I'm really excited about that. This is like my, my next passion project and Phil's doing his feature. He's trying to get that off the ground. So we're both trying to get more features off the ground just so we can uh, stress ourselves out all over again. <laughs> so, so the lockdown period was a creatively fertile one for you. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know, like, you know, when I always have a lot of ideas, but I always struggle to like actually sit down and write them. Like I normally do shorts for my channel, but I never do features. And I really wanted to do this feature. And it was only because of the coronavirus that I was like, you have no excuse not to get this road. And I, you know, wrote and wrote and then went back and forth with my writing partner. And in the end, we had a feature film and I was like, oh my gosh, I just needed <laughs> like this my inspiration was that I have nothing else to do yeah so, so now um and Phil did the same you did you start writing before the virus or not I yeah I wrote a a first draft last year but it, it, the the lockdown allowed me to have the you know the time to really dive in and and pull it apart and rewrite and and prep everything so and we kind of made it a competition too where we were you know motivating each other to get our scripts done which is really good Write parts for me. <laughs> oh yeah, can you book? Can you book him in your next film? He's awesome. I I would like to. I would like to. I mean, the honeymoon phase was an audition, basically, for the next project. So. I I just want to be random guy number five. I'll be like in the background. Random guy oh, number. Five. Hey, that's Tom. <laughs> in both their movies, that's weird. I I, I do. <laughs> Just to, just to kind of puff Jim up just one more time, because I, I feel bad that what, about what he just said about the industry. Uh, he plays charming and malevolent equally well. Okay. Uh, so I, I definitely cast him in the next one. All right. So in summary, the honeymoon phase, it's streamable everywhere. Yes. I mean, wherever so we're, one gets we're movies. On, uh, we're on all the VOD platforms. Uh, I would, if, if I were to choose one, I would watch the iTunes and Apple TV version because that's the exclusive home to the HD iTunes extras. So you get a alternate ending where you see who the hell Tom is talking to in the white room. Uh, oh, you, <laughs> you get I want to see that. Opening, deleted scenes making of bloopers uh vfx breakdowns there's about an hour of extra material there um and there's sorry. eight deleted sex scenes um. <laughs> <laughs> no there there chloe would not let me put any of the deleted no, there was uh, one there was one and i was I'm, like i'm putting it on i was like don't you dare put that on the deleted scenes. <laughs> i was joan and i watched that the other day and we were waiting for it and it, you cut it right before it happened i went oh <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, we spent so much time filming that scene. Oh, Jim, <laughs> tune, in to, tune in to Pornhub in a couple of weeks. It might leak on there. We'll see. Don't it's, you dare. It's, it's already there. It's okay. <laughs> we got to get that ad revenue. <laughs> so, so Apple, Apple's the go-to, but it is available on all VOD platforms. Yeah, Amazon Prime, uh, all, all the major ones. And I think it's on demand also. Um, but also on the 29th of September, our DVD just came out. Nice. Um, so this also has all the behind the scenes that is on the iTunes version. So um, and that- if you like hard media, you can get the DVD. That's that's available where? Target, Walmart? Uh, Target, Walmart, Best Buy, Barnes and Noble, and Amazon. Fantastic. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I, I see a lot of people on social media. You know, this is the this is the month. We're in October as we're doing this. This is when okay. everyone watches scary movies. But I see a lot of people doing 31 horror days or 31 horror movies in 31 days. Like people are doing one horror movie a day. Uh, I would say if you're one of those people or even if you're not, the honeymoon phase. Add that to your list for the month of October. Thank uh, you. You're not going to see where this is going when you start watching it, and it's it, it's awesome. So, in summary, Philip Carroll, Chloe Carroll, Jim Shubin, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you so much thank for you. having us. This was so much fun. We always love talking to uh, to movie lovers about uh, just film in general. So this is so much fun. Thank you for having us.